Hello and welcome back to All Things Urticaria, your UCARE podcast. Going strong, more than 60 episodes coming right here from the Urticaria Centers of Reference and Excellence. My name is Marcus. I'm here at the UCARE in Berlin and I have with me today, and I'm very happy about it, again, Desi. Hi, Desiree. How are you? Hi, Marcus. Very happy to be here with you today. Look, I went back and it was episode 34 that we first talked back then about education and how to uh, uh, help patients with good information. Uh, today we have a different topic and this is a request from uh, one of our listeners. Thank you very much for the feedback. We always welcome your input so that we can touch on things that you really want us to talk about. This one is on urticaria management in resource poor settings. Maybe we'll first define what is a resource poor setting, Desiree. <laughs> I think you are in one. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's sure. Well, I live and work here in Mexico City. Um, I'm privileged to be in a private hospital, but I also, uh, since we started in a private hospital 20 years back, um, they had an, an um, a project going on to support the the low income people from the the places near to the to the hospital so mm. since then we founded the um the uh, free of charge uh, allergy clinic um, a little bit more than 20 years back and mm. once a week i see the patients um yeah uh, uh, solitary moms um people really have have a hard time you know and then with the um, sick kids or, or themselves being sick and sometimes having urticaria, that's, that's really hard. Yeah. Um, so many of the nice tools we would like to, to use for, for therapy, um, yeah, that's just not possible for them. But then yeah. uh, still you can, I think, do do quite a lot um, yeah. because many things of urticaria, I'd like to first stress the, the part of just having the correct diagnosis. Yeah. No, um, I think when when I look at myself in in when I get them consulting, how does it contrast to what I do with my, the with the people who just come to my private clinic? Well, I spend more time on just a very good speaking diagnosis. Absolutely. No, uh, not using so many extra uh, laboratory tests and everything. Um, because it doesn't cost anything but time, no? only speaking and listening well to your patient. So I think the first thing is to really be sure that this is your decaria. Um, and, and, and that's something you can really do, you know, wherever you work, uh, provided that the information is there. Um, Desi, do you think, well, let's go back one step, because when we're talking about resource poor settings, of course, that um, has a geographical implication. No, there are countries with uh, low resources. Where, um, there are also rich countries where there are, are areas, pockets, where uh, we don't have the resources we have in other areas. But um, coming back to your point where uh, you say that really the biggest diagnostic um, value is in the questions that we ask patients rather than the tests we do, do you think that um, uh, poor resources are linked to poor information in the physician community on how to diagnose urticaria? Do you think it takes longer in uh, countries with less resources than in those with more resources before patients get the correct diagnosis? Do we have information on that? What's your feeling? Yeah. 
that, that that's a very good point, Marcus. I'm I'm not really sure. But, uh, yeah, sure. I see patients who come to me and and they have diagnoses of other. Uh, diseases, even uh, oftentimes using uh, topical corticosteroids on urticaria. Mm -hmm. So that's when you really say, well, yeah, this was not correctly diagnosed, even sometimes by specialists. No? So, so yeah, I do think um, uh, when you're not so much in touch uh, with with uh, also all electronic things, although now nowadays it's it's quite open and widely available. But then even so. Um, I think still the the main source of information to many colleagues out there in the field in in the little villages and etc is is the rep yeah. is the, the 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 representative who visits you from pharmaceutical companies and yeah. it's their their main source of information so and that brings us back to the problem that we don't have reps uh, um, in some countries simply because the drugs that are used in urticaria. I mean, they're not not that many, but the few that are used in urticaria, omalizumab or also antihistamines, may not be widely available there. So uh, we will we will talk about treatment um, uh, in a, in a little bit. But I also want to um, use this time with you to talk about solutions. So when you say that um, reps are a major a source of information for the colleagues uh, out there um, and that doesn't really work. What can we do? Is there? Do you see another angle where networks such as UCARE or societies uh, or technological platforms that these colleagues use can do something to bring that information that is so essential for early and correct diagnosis of urticaria? Yeah, I think definitely, Marcus. I think especially now and in, in when the post-COVID era and we even already did this pre-COVID is the advantage of the of the um, the the webs now the way you can virtually reach uh, the colleagues out there and they mm. can in their spare time. So we we made this and this comes back again to education. So it links to the the previous podcast we had. Um, we made this this uh, urticaria course on demand uh, with some colleagues from uh, dermatology and from mm. allergy. And uh, it's freely available. They can just subscribe and, mm -hmm. and try to to educate people like that. It is not so easy that they really link into that kind of courses. Yeah. Um, other courses we have, have been giving and also I know with the UCAR the platform and, and the UCAR group um, is just giving the live uh, sessions. But yeah. then it's always a little bit the problem of, of the time zones now that you uh, over there and we over here. Um, just the live sessions that also our Mexican colleges, uh, Semica and Compedia, um, have been giving, um, and then really to have a live conversation on uh, distance with uh, with colleagues out there. I think that are still very important tools that we can we can use more. Agreed, and you know, making available in the national language also can be important uh, at least for some of the countries we're yeah. or we're talking about i mean you are a shining example making the guideline available for your country in spanish yeah. uh, so that's i think uh, essential 
to yeah. bring information, good information in the language of the colleagues to them so that uh, it helps them. Let, let's move on a little bit because information is one thing. Early diagnosis is super important. We know that. Um, but then it also comes outside of treatment to other things that we need. For example, uh, tools, instruments uh, like urticaria activity score, the use of the urticaria control test. Um, and that's something, because it's free, that really is not limited to the research-rich set, uh, settings and should be um, used in research poor settings, maybe even more, because that's one thing that we can do yeah. in in uh, countries or regions where resources um, are otherwise not available. What's your feeling on this? Yeah, ab absolutely, Marcus, absolutely. And and just to make it clear for the public uh, listening to us, the tools that we're speaking here, these are just questionnaires. So, so it's not a tool, physical tool that you need. No, it's, it's yeah. a questionnaire um, that uh, makes it clear um, first urticaria activity uh, score, no? um, how, how active the urticaria, how bad the urticaria is. And then when you follow up on your patients, no, the urticaria control test, uh, UCD, no, as we say <laughs> quickly, um, that uh, gives us a much better idea of how, how well or not well controlled the urticaria is at the moment of follow-up visits. Yeah. Um, I think it's very important because um, yeah, often you say, no, I don't need the tools. I just uh, speak to my patient and then I'm aware how well or not well he is. Yeah. That is not true. How good a physician you feel that you are. Um, yeah, I, I just now using again in, in, in this low setting. Um, I, uh, yesterday I had the consultings of, of, of some 10, 10 patients there. And, and one of them came with, with uh, allergic rhinitis, not urticaria, but allergic rhinitis. And his mom was with him and la la la. He said, no, but I'm quite well controlled now. I said, okay, okay. So from all not to 10, how bad is your, your nose at uh, last week? Let's say 10 is horrible and zero is perfect. No, like a seven. And then uh, his mom said, what? <laughs> no, I thought it would be one or two. I thought yeah. you were good. Yeah. It was really like eye-opening, yeah. even to his mom. And, and and so I think, yes, it is very important to use the tools. I think they're, they're still, um, I think maybe not even 1% of the colleagues know these tools exist to help you. And it's only four or five questions. It's not yeah. long questionnaires. Yeah. So I definitely still think we should push more and, and make them much more knowledge, um, uh, acquainted, people acquainted with them. I'm, I'm all with you. You know, it was uh, Ivan Ferez and his team from Ecuador um, through one of the projects within UCARE who found out that uh, physicians and, and, and also a lot of patients are, um, are lacking information and the tools and to make them available and to bring bring it to them for their use. I, and, and again, it's free. You know, it's, this time, it's not the lack of resources that's limiting us. Um, it's more the approach, and I think I truly think that Cruise, the chronic urticaria self-evaluation app that is already available in English and Ukrainian uh, globally, mm -hmm. is is a way to bring those instruments, those questionnaires, those those control instruments to mm -hmm. our colleagues in in all the countries. So I, I know we're not in Mexico yet. I know, but we're working on it. What's Cruise exactly? Is, is it another? It's it's an app. It's an app that you, you can already download. You should try. It's on your uh, app store. 
It's free. It was developed by the UCARE network, and it has the UTCARE activity score, the UTCARE control test. It has the angioedema um, uh, tools. It allows you to document your medication and to keep track of how well your urticaria is doing, how, how you respond to the treatment, and you can share that information with your treating physician. And it's already available uh, with the uh, uh, country medication lists in 14 countries, and we're working on more countries, yeah. but uh, everyone can use it already as the international version in English. So. Mm -hmm. Go, go, go look at it. it's it's spelled c r u s e so not cruise like the uh, cruise ship it's it's cruise um and yeah go check it out and let me know what you what you think about it wonderful this is wonderful you really have to to look for a way to translate to spanish and i think ivan he's been enormous help yeah. in all in america yeah. even here is the, the photo you refer to our colleague and yeah. and yeah definitely but we have to to put shows together here with him <laughs> let's do it no Over we may we have the ecuador uh, ecuadorian version so cruz is in ecuador already hmm. um let's do the mexican one mexico is a big country and uh, i'm sure it'll be very successful and very welcome there no. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right. I think wonderful project. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Desi, in the last minutes we have, let's talk about uh, treatment. We have to hey. talk about treatment. Uh, it was now that we all have experience, or many of us have experience with Omalizumab, we look back at the pre-Oma times and we say, oh my goodness, how hard was it? But it was not impossible. You can provide good urticaria care and treatment even when you do not have access to Omalizumab. Um, what do you say? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I do think, sure, there's always this very little percentage of, percentage of patients where, where it's really hard to control them, but it's only an absolutely minor percentage. Um, if I see what, what still is not uh, sufficiently used to, utilized here in, in, in um, among many patients who come to me is just updosing the antihistamine. Okay. And, and there's quite good um, uh, generics of of, uh, uh, of the second generation, you know, because still uh, they go back to first generation, thinking oh, yeah. that they're stronger. It mm. is still here, and that's why you know that I fought for our guideline, global guideline, that there should still be no first line antihistamines because it's still the problem, yeah. not the first first generation, the old ones. Um, so we still have to promote more, only uh, ceterazine, loratadine, uh, there's a lot of, of, of copies of them and not so expensive, and yeah. abdose them first. What I see quite a lot here as well is there is a medication here on the market that's a combination of loratadine with betometasone. Mm. And it's only five milligrams of loratadine, so it's not a good antihistamine dose, and yeah. then they already add on a corticosteroid, um, ah. yeah, a systemic corticosteroid, which is absolutely useless and you should not do before right. you first get to the max of uh, quadruple antihistamine, yeah. because many chronic patients, they damage themselves of going course. back and back to this combined medication yeah. and even being quite poorly controlled. Yeah, yeah. So what do you do when antihistamines fail and you cannot work with omalizumab? 
Yeah, it is tough, and, and sure, then we go with a, a little bit more slippery, slippery <laughs> uh, medications that mm. do not have real solid evidence behind them. But, but there is some evidence, I think. We add on antileukotriene, sure. uh, 10 milligrams, uh, surely, in, in, in evenings, and, and I go adding on also an H2. And in some people, I definitely think that that um, that there there is a bit added uh, efficacy when you add them on only once you really already at four doses of the normal second generation antihistamine. Correct. Correct. Can never be said of that. Yeah. No, it's good and, that and you say. It, yeah, it, it really, yeah. I appreciate you saying it so so clearly because. Uh, uh, well, first of all, we we all need to have that never give up attitude because we cannot just simply throw our hands in the air and say, well, the antihistamine doesn't work. Um, that's it. We, there's nothing we can do. And I remember the days when we were using triple combinations, just like uh, you are forced to do in some of your patients. I remember the days when we were moving patients from cyclosporin to metotrexate to acetyrobin and and you know just just trying to find something that is uh, tolerated and effective um it's not nice uh, i i don't want to go back to the cyclosporin times and i've uh-huh. treated hundreds of patients with cyclosporin um uh-huh. oma is a blessing but uh, yeah even in, when we don't have OMA, we need to do a good job and bring relief to our patients. Yeah. And then one more thing, go back again to a little bit, to go back to diagnosis. I just had one and I couldn't control, I couldn't control. He was going out to another city. So I sent him over to my colleague and he, my colleague did again the workup and he had no symptoms of gastritis at all. Hmm. And he came positive to helicobacter. He treated Helicobacter and the urticaria is gone. So yep. now I really do my workup. I do those do do the workup to, for Helicobacter. Yep. Now, if there are symptoms or if there's no symptoms, because yep. there are some guys out there where it really is the cause. So I don't want to miss that again. <laughs> oh, yeah. And and you know, this becomes I think more important in settings where you cannot go to the very modern treatments and more modern treatments will be coming, coming hopefully soon. And uh, that will in the long run also make them available to our colleagues and patients in resource poor settings. Um, Daisy, remember the last time I asked you uh, the million dollar question, what would you do? I don't think it makes a lot of sense to ask that question, right? What would you do with a million dollars to address the unmet needs in resource poor settings? Um, but we we highlighted a lot of things that can be done, even without more resources uh, other than energy and uh, and the will to change things. So thank you very, very much, Desi, for your insights from Mexico, Mexico. And um, yeah, I think we all have a mission as urticariologists uh, to address the disparities that we see. We clearly see them, but there's already a lot we can do. Yeah, definitely, Marcus. Thank you so much. And yeah, still, it will be, I would still invest in education. I would still invest in education of a million. Uh, I, do I think agree. I agree. Colleagues of first generation, uh, first line physicians, primary yeah. health care. Yeah. yeah. Super. We're we're 
really aligned here, Desi, and I do count on you. We have a plan. I'll be in touch to bring crews to uh, Mexico. Um, I hope to see you in Sao Paulo for the UCARE conference. And uh, um, until then, be well. And thank you so much for coming on this show again. Absolutely. My pleasure, Marcus. Thanks so much. Folks, this is all the time we have. Uh, I had Desi, Desiree Larenas Lineman back from our UCARE in Mexico. We talked about UT carrier management in resource poor settings. Why? Well, first of all, it's important. And second of all, it was uh, a suggestion that came to us from you, our listeners. So please check out all of the information that we will put in the show notes. We talked about Cruise, the Chronic Urticaria Self-Evaluation app. We talked about the UCT, the Urticaria Control Test. We talked about treatment landscape and treatment guidelines. We'll put all of that in the show notes. Go check it out. Go back to our previous episodes and enjoy the next one coming soon. Until then, be well, take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>